Perfect. Perfect. Well, <clears throat> I need to, before we really dive into anything, I need to let you know, this is an absolute privilege for me. Um, I've been, uh, the point of a lot of what I was doing in my academic career at the university, especially in graduate school, is, <clears throat> was with high hopes that I would end up meeting you, really, let alone have a meeting like this. So thank you really for taking the time. It means the world. My pleasure. Terrific. Glad you're enthused. Yes. So <clears throat> we'll start off by why I reached out. Um, me and my managing team, which is um, Samantha, she and I reached out to you. Uh, because you've been a big staple in my life and my uh, my health so far. And I see so I have your two books here. Uh, these are the two that I've read. I don't have the other ones, uh, but I'm in the process of getting them. My mentor, Dave Gano, um, I come from Wheeling, West Virginia. And so late high school, all the way through college <clears throat> for about seven and a half years. And I still work there occasionally. I work on his farm. Um, and when I met Dave, he came off as um, very health conscious. You know, he's in his mid to late 60s, very health conscious, um, and really wasn't, uh, wasn't afraid of saying what he knows is true, and especially when it came to his health. So what I had found out over the years that I knew him was your products are what led him in the right direction. I learned that um, <clears throat> these are the two first books that he bought. Actually, he gifted them to me so that I could read them and then carry on. And so he introduced me to the name Dr. Furman, right? And I was like, who is this Dr. Furman guy? Um, and, uh, and I'm working on this farm every day. And it was, it was hard. And I didn't get really a lot of downtime. But I noticed the more I read your books, the uh, earlier he would let me come to work to drink coffee and sit in the den which was a, a personal library that we installed into the house when we renovated it. And he would let me sit and read your books. Um, and I would take notes and I have stacks of notebooks full of different notes from the books and we can go over them and we don't have to go over them, but that is what stems, you know, this, that's what this stems from, you know, and it, the fact that I'm coming into this meeting and, for the first time talking to an individual who has um, provided me with guidance towards my fitness goals, but successfully after years of trial and error of different supplements and different routines. And, you know, and so, so I just, I wanted to start off letting you know that this is a, uh, you know, it's, it's more than just, I mean, it's just person to person, but the fact that you're even able to, you, you, you want to sit down and have these conversations with young professionals like myself. And um, even though you have such a, an in-depth reputation and such a massive portfolio, so diverse in what you do and what you've been successful in, it's, you know, it, it's almost flabbergasting because I, I, don't, I don't even have, I'm just growing to understand. I have a little bit of an understanding. So I can pick your mind and it's, you know, I'm really looking forward to it. And we can talk about whatever you want, by the way. This isn't, you know, I know uh, what you're an expert in, but. Um, we can talk about whatever you want. I can talk, yeah. we can talk about whatever you want too. Yeah. So I have a few talking points. Um, the first one was how Dave, my mentor, uh, introduced me to you and how it actually reversed his diabetes. Later, later on in life, he 
you know, wasn't born with it, wasn't genetic, right? Type two. And so he moved, he moved forward in this type two diabetes um, from just poor habits and poor eating, poor practice, not really a lot of exercising. He was a foreman his whole life. So very active, but not in a going to say like a lifting gym, right? Like a YMCA or anything like that. And um, <clears throat> so that was the first talking point and it reverses diabetes, which it reversed my fat loss. It's helped me realign all of my hormones, which is another one that we can talk about. So um, a couple episodes ago, I was with Samantha, who, you know, she helps me on the podcast. She, um, and she helped me decipher a uh, hormone test that I had completed. And, you know, going over all the different major hormones, the testosterone, the free testosterone, the cortisol, you know, everything, good, good cholesterol, bad cholesterol, kind of just a basic measurement of all the internal measurements, you know, just so I knew, because I hadn't gotten a uh, serious in-depth test since college, since I was an athlete, I didn't have access to that. So <clears throat> with the hormone test results, I realized that what, one thing that was out of whack was my cortisol. The cortisol was out of whack and um, it, it made a lot of sense that my cortisol was so out of, out of whack. And, and it's a big reason why I once again returned back to your books and to your resources that you provide and, um, you know, your interviews, everything, you know, just trying to get a basic consensus the best that I could before actually meeting you. Um, and, and so that's another thing that we can talk about for the, so if, cause so um, we'll use me as an example. So my cortisol levels were significantly low for my age, not dangerously low, but enough to the point where it would make a 24 year old, almost 25 year old, who's been an athlete his whole life, battling uh, weight gain and battling injuries and head trauma, lots of head trauma. Um, what, would you tell an individual like me if I came to say your retreat or, you know, I was in San Diego and I was like, Hey, Mr. Furman, you know, I don't really have much of a background in what you do, but I've heard you specialize in this. This is what I've done. This is what's happened. You know, what would you tell me? Well, the first thing is I teach people is that we have this unprecedented opportunity in human history to live longer and be healthier than ever before with these modern advances in nutritional science so much so that we can control the rate at which we age by what we put in our mouth. And we're, we're all having fun doing this. It's really exciting and a, not, you know, a, a pleasurable hobby to be able to eat healthfully, make the foods taste delicious, and control the timing and the volume of what you eat to slow the aging process. And for many people, even age backwards. Because we could, for example, do a telomere test or epigenetic testing and show that after some months of doing this, by lowering their body fat, we've not only normalized their hormones, but we've actually lengthened their telomeres and reduced their, their methylation defects and the, the road, the markers of the precancerous condition, the pre-diabetic condition mark we can show goes the other direction. We're actually doing as ridiculous as this sounds, showing um, measurable biological parameters that we've actually aged the person backwards and got them to a younger biological age. And I'm saying that the reason I'm bringing that up first before I address the hormone levels sure. is because I think the hormone levels are unimportant. I don't even think it matters to take them. 
because everybody's going to have abnormal hormone levels if their body fat is above 25% for a female and above 15% body fat for a male. In other words, you can't have normal hormones with excess body fat. And And just because the whole American population is overweight, people think overweight people are normal. But there's no such thing as a normal overweight person because body fat is pathologic tissue that spews out cytokines and lipokines and pro-inflammatory substances. It's poorly oxygenated tissue. In other words, fat cells don't get a great blood supply. They're marginally hypoxic tissue. The word hypoxic means not enough oxygen. And doing so, they create a pro-inflammatory state in the body, which raises white blood cell counts. So everybody's white blood cell counts are too high. They're showing chronic inflammation. And it's caused by, of course, their diet, but also by the, by the diet causing the body fat. Now, when you have body fat, it makes you insulin resistant. So the, pay, the beta cells in the pancreas have to produce higher levels of insulin to keep the sugars in the normal range. So even if the sugars are in the normal range, you're still pre-diabetic. If your cholesterol is good, if your blood pressure is good, if you know diabetic parameters and your hormones look good, you're still not good. You're still hormonally unfavorable because your insulin's too high to keep your sugar down. There's the, the commonality of all healthy centenarians all have insulin sensitivity, not insulin resistance, and all have low need for insulin. Low, they don't need a lot of insulin because their body fat is low and their insulin receptors have not been misshapen with saturated fat. So I'm saying here that with chronic inflammation, with ingestion of foods that are, don't contain phytochemicals and antioxidants, with body fat that spews out pro-inflammatory substances, it keeps your body in a chronic state of stress. And then your cortisol is going to be um, in, in bad shape but it, because your body is in chronic stress, biochemical stress. But also your estrogen testosterone ratio and and estrogen progesterone ratio are going to be unfavorable both for a male and a female, which means you're going to produce too much estrogen because fat cells activate the aromatase system, which produces more estrogen. The combination of the free, the reactive oxygen species and the extra body fat increases circulating levels of estrogen, which then increases a woman's risk of breast cancer and a male's risk of prostate cancer as well, as well as keeping a man's risk of his estrogen testosterone ratio unfavorable. And that's so, so we're talking here about modulating what we put in our mouth and the nutritarian diet. It's not a blue zone diet because blue zones live somewhat longer, maybe five to eight years longer than the average American. They're eating what's indigenous or what they've eaten culturally in those areas for generations. They have lower, they live a little longer than most Americans live. Um, but the diets are not as broad in the longevity promoting foods. They're not scientific based. They're just, you know, areas that eat somewhat better than Americans. The nutritarian diet though, tries to look at every aspect of eating that slows aging, prevents disease and lengthens human lifespan. And when we incorporate those foods and that dietary pattern, then we can enable people to live 20 years longer in great health. I'm making this radical claim, and I'm saying that the normal lifespan for the average human should be between 97 and 107 years old. That should be normally expected. So right now, and then we're talking about, you know, living around 100 years old in good health with your full mental faculties. And that's my... um, 
That's my goal. That's my stress we're striving for. The people that I'm teaching, we're striving to do that. And so, and, and so when you're losing weight, let's say you're 40 pounds overweight, let's say, right? You're 40 pounds overweight and you have heightened angiogenesis promotion and, and insulin resistance and hormonal dysregulation and at higher levels of estrogen and, 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 and activation of chronic, chronic inflammation, keeping your immune system not able to respond to a virus attack. And so, so now you have all these issues. If you start losing weight by eating these nutrient-rich food, and we're a green vegetable-dependent animal, so our diet has to contain lots of different types of green vegetables, but I have that acronym G-BOMBS, right? The G-BOMBS, greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds, these foods that are so ultimately adapted to the human species and the human digestive tract that are designed to and shown to lengthen human lifespan. So these foods have anti-angiogenic effects and anti-inflammatory effects, and they, they retard weight loss and they lower levels of estrogen. They bind estrogen in the gut and they lower cholesterol. But in any case, what I'm saying right now is that when you incorporate um, this portfolio of foods that then slow the aging process, it normalizes so many things simultaneously, right? Your cholesterol, your blood glucose, your hormones, your body, all these things normalize. You know, doctors do testing on people and they get readings because they're reading things because they have a drug to affect that reading. So they're checking your blood pressure because they have a drug that could lower that. They're checking your cholesterol because they have a drug that could lower that. They're checking your glucose because they have a drug that can lower that. But I'm saying that, you know, there's a whole bunch going on that's negative that they don't measure and they don't tell you about and they don't have a drug to lower those things. And lowering a few of these parameters have very little effect on extending lifespan, if, if at all, you know, because you lower the person's blood pressure, but their atherosclerosis and blood and, el- and inelasticity of the blood vessels, the blood vessels are still aging and the, the same biological damage is continuing to occur as eat the same diet that caused the problem to begin with. They put you on a drug so it looks better. But it's not better. It's actually getting worse while it's looking better. It's like sweeping the dirt under the rug. They camouflaged it to think you're okay. So they convince people that they have a normal cholesterol, a normal blood pressure, normal glucose. They're okay because they have some drugs that made them normal, but they're not normal. They're just, they're enabling people. They're giving them permission slips. It's only good to have those levels normal if you're earning them to be normal because you live the lifestyle that created them to be normal. I don't even care about much testing on people. I care about that their lifestyle earns a normal blood pressure, normal blood insulin, normal without the, without the need for drug. That's the only way you're really protected against a heart attack. If you have normal parameters without drugging yourself into the normal range, because you're living healthy enough to have earned those healthy parameters. But in any case, getting back to your initial question, it's that, um, that, we, ha- that we can't escape from the concept that the most critical factor that ages the body and creates disease is the opposite of what extends human longevity. And what extends human longevity is moderate caloric restriction, just undershooting calories, just a hair in the context of micronutrient excellence. So those five words, moderate caloric restriction with micronutrient excellence. And the opposite, of course, is excess calories without sufficient micronutrients. 
And the American diet is mostly processed foods and animal products, which both don't contain much significant micronutrient load. They're not containing enough, you know, we're green vegetable dependent animals. So people have no understanding of how the body works and they have no understanding of how to control their health destiny. And there's so much they have to learn, but we improve our taste buds, our taste muscle. And, and I'm saying it becomes impossible to lose weight or to moderately caloric restrict when you don't pay attention to what you're eating and you don't achieve micronutrient adequacy because with micronutrient inadequacy, you become a calorie consuming monster. You become a food addict. You're fatigued all the time. You can't, you have to overeat just to feel okay. And you're not satisfied with the right amount of calories for your body. So until we focus on the quality of what people are eating, to get their nutrient levels up, there's no way they're going to reduce, be comfortably controlling their quality, the quantity of what they're eating. So a nutritarian diet doesn't guarantee the person's going to you know, not, over, not eat too much nuts or avocado, not eat, but, they, but it makes it possible and it, makes, it puts you back in touch with the instinctual needs of the body, instinctual hunger, which makes you then satisfied with much less, with the right amount of calories. Whereas when you don't eat as healthfully, then you can't control these overwhelming drives and cravings to overeat and to eat things you shouldn't be eating. So it's, it's a little bit complicated. I hope I gave you. No, this is perfect. This is perfect. So a big reason why I started doing what I do, um, especially after getting my master's degree, it is to transition what you're saying not only to the general public, but also to the education industries and mainly the fitness industry. Um, being a victim of the fitness industry and all of its uh, stigma, stereotypes, and flukes, yeah, a lot of it is misleading. And it goes, it goes to show because um, even the most quote-unquote fit, not a very good word to use, but fit people in the fitness industry they're not always fit right they either have and as you're explaining it's because of their diet you know it's because the lack of thereof and it's not just putting greens on your plate it goes way further beyond that you know understanding how an apple affects your body you know and the thousands of chemical processes that go through your body after eating maybe just Instead of a prepackaged salad from the store, you make it fresh, right? You get some organic kale. You make some, you know, you get some blueberries or you put some pecans on or whatever you want, right? But you're using what you're supposed to be using, you know, non-inflammatory foods, things that are very, uh, very diverse and dense on a micronutrient level. You know, the uh, the amount of understanding the value behind um, how just the simplest of foods that are, as like you're saying, the Western diet, it's processed, empty calories. Um, and that's a big thing they teach in the fitness industry, especially at a young age. They ignore all hopes and dreams of and all uh, vision of living a very tunnel vision, um, a good, healthy and actually very uh, abundant, fulfilling life, especially when it comes to eating where you can eat raw foods and good foods and almost eat as much as you want. And your body after a long period of time, especially with vigorous exercise is going to adapt and you're going to get that figure you want without putting yourself at health risk or 
uh, sidelining and retiring your fitness career at age 35 because you can't do it because your body can't do it. You're so beat up. You have nothing left. You didn't feed it right. So you bought, you know, and you were depending on supplementation. You were forgetting about the definition of supplementation. You know, do you know what I mean? Like this, everything that you're saying needs to be transitioned because it will open up the eyes of millions of people. In the fitness well, you think the, um, one of the most damaging effects of the fitness and bodybuilding industry has been this emphasis on protein, whey protein, animal protein, trying to maximize muscle growth through raising growth hormones in the body, because that's what excess animal protein does. It raises insulin-like growth factor one, which then ages people faster and promotes angiogenesis, which then allows cancer cells to replicate as you're maximizing muscle growth. But what I'm saying right now is that if you're going to ask me what's the most significant and shocking finding in the scientific literature of the last decade that's been highly corroborated with multiple studies showing the same thing, and that is that more animal protein in the diet leads to more premature death, and more plant protein in the diet leads to longer lifespans, which is quite different than what we thought. We thought that a diet that we knew that reducing animal protein made for longer life, but we didn't realize and we, can, and we regulate IGF-1 with reduction of animal protein. In other words, IGF-1 becomes one of the major hormones that has anti-aging effects. And we're saying here that lower levels are better and higher levels that maximize muscle growth, increase the growth of substances that shouldn't be growing when we're an adult, including, you know, when we're maximizing muscle growth, we're permitting cancer cells to grow at the same time. And the shortest lifespan of any profession in North America are linebackers on football teams who maximize, who have to maximize the growth to successfully be over 250 pounds to get a linebacker job. But in any case, what I'm saying right now is that the shocking part was the fact that higher protein plant foods had such a powerful effect at lengthening lifespan because the IGF-1 that gets too high with too much animal protein could also become too low on certain types of vegan diets that don't pay attention to having adequate plant protein. So you just can't eat a macrobiotic diet or a fruit-based diet or a potato-based diet. You, you actually have to eat high-protein plant foods as you reduce or eliminate animal products. But then you get much more nutrients in the process and fibers. But we're talking about these high-protein plant foods like green vegetables, beans, and nuts and seeds. And the other secondary factor was that most of the fat in the diets in modern world come from animal fats and oils. And they're both um, not favorable fats. We're meant to be getting our fats predominantly from nuts and seeds, not from oils, not from the oils derived from nuts and seeds or grains. So we're saying here that it's not corn oil, it's corn, but it's even, even that's not even a great food. It's still a grain, but, right. but it's not walnut oil. It's the walnut. It's not sesame oil. It's not it's the sesame seed. It's not avocado oil. It's the avocado. It's not flax seed oil. It's flax seeds that have the anti-cancer effects that when you eat the whole food, you get a constellation of nutrients that interact with cellular machinery to, to silence abnormal genes, to stop DNA crosslinks, to remove toxins. In other words, these whole foods contain certain biological compounds that human, the immune, immune function in our cellular machinery use to self-repair and heal and to, and to keep disease process away. So when we take the olive oil instead of the olive, we're not getting the nutrients nature or attended us to have based on our biological development through the many thousands of years of human development. So we've, so the, the modern diet 
has completely perverted nutrition and brainwashed people to have false belief systems that are based on marketing, the most biggest marketing scam perpetrated on the population, convincing them that olive oil is a super health food. Like you're pouring 500 calories of oil in your food with no, with no fiber, no micronutrients. People are overweight and oil tells the body to stop losing weight. It's a fat, it's, it's pure fat. It goes right to the, we say from the lips to the hips in five minutes flat, it tells your body to stop breaking down fat and store fat. And so we're saying that the majority of calories in the American diet come from processed grains, like white flour products, like bagels and pizza and donuts and cookies and croissants and Italian bread. And then the other, and sweeteners and the other part of it, that, um, that portion of the diet are oil. So we're eating like half the diet is from foods that have no significant micronutrient load. And by the way, animal products do not contain phytochemicals and antioxidants. So they're like eating a piece of bagel as well. So a piece of chicken's like a bagel because neither one contains a significant load of anti-cancer longevity promoting nutrients. So you have the bagel, the chicken and the oil, and this is what people think are health food, white meat, chicken, you know, low fat, olive oil is good, whatever they're doing. They missed the whole point. So the people are so confused and we wonder why everybody's overweight. And it's 89% of the population is overweight, not, not 77% like health authorities tell us because they're considering 25 is the demarcation, BMI of 25 is the demarcation line between normal weight and overweight people. That's how they can say 77% of people have a BMI below 25. But all along the individuals, all along the societies, all people have BM, all um, people who live, who live long, healthy lives have BMIs below 23. Ideally, a male's BMI should probably be below 22 and a female should be below 21. If we use 23, which is plenty permissive enough, then we then it makes 89% of Americans overweight, not 77%. And the 11% that's not overweight now, most of those are smokers, alcoholics, and sick people. It's only 2.4% of people in America that are have a BMI below 23 because they eat relatively healthfully and exercise regularly. So we can't compare American people or even study them because studying pe- people who, because what I'm saying right now is if you're normal and not sick, you're supposed to become overweight on American food. And if you didn't become overweight on American food, then there's something wrong with you. And you're probably sick, a sick person, or some really severe illnesses because you're supposed to be overweight. The American diet is so dangerous and so, you could say, um, conf- people are so confused and so addicted to eating unhealthfully that they just self, their, 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 be- their behaviors are self-destructive. And they rationalize, because they become addicted to these foods, they rationalize whatever crazy reason they can find to justify the continued consumption of this self, of this self-destructive diet. See, this is, this is mind rattling. Mm -hmm. It is because, um, you know, every day I worked, no matter where I was at, what gym I was at, what location I was at, um, everywhere I've been everywhere, even around the world, outside of the United States, it's always, um, it's always been about, like what you had said, high protein. Uh, and you walk into any serious gym, it's what'd you eat today? Chicken and rice. Yeah. You know, what'd you eat today? Chicken and rice. What'd you eat today? Oh, I, and they'll dress it up a little bit by throwing some avocado oil onto something or mixing it with something. And it's like, you know, it, I'm trying, I'm trying to find the words to tell them what you're telling me right now, you know, and that, and that's a huge reason why I'm having this podcast because 
I realized that I couldn't. I realized that they needed to hear from you. They needed to hear from an individual who's changed a life before mine, changed my life, now my partner's life, you know, like, and they need to hear this because once you visit it, once, you know, once I learned how, you know, once, once I went weeks and months uh, eating nothing but plant proteins, eating raw cashews instead of oils or, you know, eating the raw nuts, right? Um, and buying them in bulk so that I always had them, I always kept them in my car, I always kept them in the truck. You know, I always took them on the, on the work site with me, you know, anything that I could do to make sure that every time I uh, had a craving or this or that, that number one, I disciplined myself, carved myself away from the Western diet, even the healthy ones and put myself in a position where I could now taste the foods for the real flavor. And I could, uh, I could enjoy foods and I felt how much better I felt when I ate a good food and I felt much worse when I ate a bad food, you know, and my, I lived in a household at the time where it wasn't uh, sustainable to eat the way I was eating because no one else ate the way I ate while I was starting to get into your stuff. And it's, <laughs> it's it just flabbergasting me how hard it is to just spread what you know will work, you know, strictly on and it's like the diet is on a belief system. If you're doing a diet, you're doing it wrong in the first place. Like what you're saying, just eat the whole foods, you know, find good resources. Like, you know, it's in there. It's almost like you're ignoring it. You know, it's annoying. Yeah. Well, um, I, you know, when, when I wrote my, that my first major book that did was called Eat to Live. And that book I used to, I wrote in the beginning of the book, don't change your diet. Don't make any decision about what you're reading here until you finish the book. Ingest the information first. Become knowledgeable. Check on the references. See if they're what I'm, if I'm reporting on accurate science. And then once you get all the information in, then you can make a decision whether you want to do this or not. Because you don't judge to jump to a conclusion and start following the recipes right now because you're not going to be able to follow it unless you know why you're eating those things. And unless you know how much science supports this way of thinking, and we, we have to get you thinking the right way first. Then you have the chance to be compliant with what to eat healthier. So you can't, you know, we, you know, you can't in a medical visit or a consult for 15 or 20 minutes, tell a person how to eat and what to eat and expect that person to be compliant and change the diet for the rest of their life. No way. Right. She needs to become highly educated in this information to be and, and, and highly, you could say, um, educated into how they've been brainwashed and miseducated and all the wrong information and where that, where that came from and how that science has been, and how that, that information has been completely debunked. And with all the corroborating studies there that they built up this, these viewpoints that are not substantiated and in fact dangerous. So, I mean, so it takes time and then it has the people have the possibility of making a change, but I'm, you know, my passion and my advocate, am I, I'm advocating that it should be reading, writing and arithmetic and nutritional science taught in grade schools and all through the educational process, because it's the most critical thing affecting our life. And people know nothing about almost nothing about nutrition. They just believe what they hear from the, from the media selling products to them, you know, one, uh, so three things. Number one, as a teacher, as a, as a former teacher, uh, teaching at you know, all, all different levels besides college, I 
found that many individuals, no matter of age, all the way up through senior year, fifth grade, you know, fifth year high school students, you know, um, they didn't know where vegetables and fruits came from. They didn't know what the process was to get meat onto their plate, you know, and it's like, the more I, the more I focused on grounding, the more I focused on what I taught, meaning teaching my kids not only what to eat, even if it, and I've gotten, and I've gotten sat down a couple of times because what I was telling the kids was different than what they were allowing me to put like on poster boards and, you know, stuff like that um, for nutrition tips. And it was like, no, you kind of got to teach it this way. Like, okay, well, I have years of health background and that's not true. You know, I know that's not true because I followed that for years and now I'm doing this and it immediately fixed all my problems, you know? So it's like, first off the ground, you know, it needs to be more of a connection with your food. First of all, you need to have that respect for your food and what you're eating and the value of nature and the nutrients that raw nature has to offer you and the balance between it all in the circle. And number two, what you had said, credibility. Credibility is key. Credit, always do your, edu- you know, always educate yourself. Always be very resourceful. Read multiple articles. Don't be married to just one, you know, don't be biased go and explore all perspectives, right? All read all the articles as much as you can and figure out for yourself and apply for yourself what will do the best for you, right? Like you had said, you can't sit down for 20 minutes and figure out what's wrong with somebody. It's It takes years sometimes, you know? And let alone if you're trying to reverse something, let alone elongate your lifespan. And number three, convenience. I tell all my clients, everybody I work with, if you want to be healthy, you have to make it convenient. You have to go to the store, you know, and be you know, invest in it. Invest in your health. You will save thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, dozens of hospital visits, even as a young adult. And it, it's it's mind boggling. You know, allergies decrease, your immune systems boosted. You know, and let alone in the middle of a pandemic, why wouldn't you want to invest in a two pound bag of raw cashews versus a six pack of zero Dr Pepper, right? Or you know, and have things quick to grab if you're busy, right? Understand what foods you can grab. I always tell people, I love fruits that you can carry with you because I can always take them onto the work site with me. I can leave them in the tractor or put them in the barn in a safe, cool spot in like a cooler or something. And I, I always have blueberries on me. I always have some grapes on me. I always have maybe some some melon with me, right? That I can cut open and eat like a spoon. It's like a natural bowl, cut a melon and you have a whole half melon. You can eat it and you're full. You get all those nutrients. It helps you hydrate. And when you're in the field for nine hour days, you know, and just being smart about it, making it convenient. And and that was the biggest thing for me was making it convenient, making health uh, convenient to learn, putting myself in a position to learn Mm -hmm. this meeting, right? I reached the ceiling on what I can learn by myself, especially after college. And what did I do? I reached out to an expert like yourself who has more than enough evidence and credibility that this all works seamlessly and to further my platform and to expand, you know, spread the good word, understand that the fitness fads are fitness fads for a reason. And what you think is healthy is not. You need this information. You need to have this respect for your food. You need to 
<clears throat> learn what a true investment in your health is. You know, so how did how did you? Because I, I, no matter how much research I did, I always had the question: How did you first get into all this? What was what was step one? You know, decades back, what was step one to your that kind of snowballed your passion and your career for what you're doing now? Probably started with my father being overweight and sickly. And then he, he read books that were written by Herbert Shelton, who were written in the 1940s and 1950s, I think. Shelton wrote, I think, over, over 20 different books. But he published a hygienic review. So I think it transformed my father's health. He lost weight and got healthier. I started reading the materials along with him when I was a teenager, um, even as a, you know, a, a young teenager, like 12 or 13 years old. At first, I thought he was crazy. How could this stuff be right and everything that we learn, you know, conventionally be wrong. And of course, everything there wasn't right anyway. It was just some things were more insightful and were, were, were you know, teaching people how to re- resort to healthy living to get healthy and not going to doctors and get drugs and not thinking that these diseases were all based on contagion as right. opposed to the state of the organism's ability to withstand, be resistant to microbes. So um, or right now, people think diseases are predominantly genetic or microbial spread, and they don't realize that um, abnormal genes are silenced by a healthy, by healthy nutritional input, and that there's less and genetic variability is much less than we thought. And even the weak people with weaker genetics can live to be over 95 years old when they have excellent nutrition. Because it's not just gene silencing, it's the fact that we, um, the, we prevent the expression. The body, you could say, um, has self-repair mechanisms in the cell, like the antioxidant response element that's fueled by green cruciferous vegetables and other flavonoids that act that remove carcinogens and, and fix broken DNA crosslinks. In other words, we have cellular machinery that repairs itself if fed properly, and that doesn't work if you don't, eat, if you don't fuel it properly. But anyway, the point I'm making right now is that um, you asked me how I got into this stuff. So I I went through college. I was a world-class figure skater. I was competing on this. On the, I was third in the world in, in pair skating by 1976. I was ranked second in the, in the amateur country by, at 1973. Um, so I was more in, you know, eating healthfully, but consumed in my athletic career. And then I got hurt, was on crutches for a long time. But in any case, um, when I left... When I left um, the, my skating career, I, I went into my family's shoe business. My father owned a chain of shoe stores. But I really knew my real passion was that nutrition was so therapeutically powerful to reverse disease and that doctors were, were advising people improperly to use drugs to treat disease instead of reverse it through nutritional excellence. So, I, so my, my passion to be a physician with a different orientation led me to go back to get the pre-med courses I had graduated from college as a business and economics major. I went back at the age of 28 to get my postgraduate pre-medical requirements at Columbia. And then I went to medical school when I was 29, almost 30 years old. So I didn't graduate to medical school until I was about 34 or 35. In 1988, I graduated medical school. I graduated from college in, in 76, didn't graduate medical school till 88. Um, so yeah, so I had a, you know, kind of like crazy way to get there. But once I finished my residency in 91, I went right out to the bat and started as, in, as, a, as a family physician, a board certified family physician specializing in nutritional medicine. 
right off the bat. It's what I always wanted to do. See, that's yeah, that is that is a little, that's a little bit of a roller coaster of events. That's that's very true. Figure skating. I never would have guessed. That is incredible. First of all, incredible that you achieved that. So you're saying that through your post-athletic career, you then started to really dive into um, the food, the food, you know, the nutritional sciences and things of that nature, right? That on your timeline. Well, I was actually doing a lot of reading on nutrition even while I was a competitive athlete. And right. practice, so, you know, so, so it wasn't when my career was over. It was all through the career and afterwards. And it became it was a hobby to read everything about nutrition and, and then um, realizing that I was very passionate about that. Matter of fact, I, was, um, I met this woman at my sister's graduation party who was actually going to, you know, attending, applying to medical school. And I said, why are you going to medical school for? Because your doctors just treat people with drugs. It's like they don't really get anybody healthy, you know. It's all about, you know, how you take care of yourself and doctors don't make you healthy. They just give enable people to take more drugs. So she said, if you're so passionate about this, why don't you go back to medical school and change things? So I, and I was thinking about that, you know, I was, had already like dabbled in trying to take some courses, but I thought it was too overwhelming to try to go to college all over again. I didn't have the pre-requirements. So then I, you know, so um, this person, Lisa, that I was started to date then started to say, well, they have these programs like the, you know, the programs you can do postgraduate pre-med and cram it into like a year, year and a half. Why don't you just do what you're passionate about? You know, so I did, I dropped my father's shoe business, sold it. He retired with that. And I went back to school full time. And then I eventually uh, married that woman, you know, and she became my wife. That's an incredible story. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. That's up. You know, just in my first year, um, outside of outside of grad school it is incredible the amount of people who put them who are now in the position like what you were in you uh you realized what your passion was you you know crunched the numbers and eventually went back that makes me think how many people how many more boots on the ground could we have in this slow movement you know (laughs) if if these people didn't if they knew that was possible you know yeah. And they had somebody to walk them through that, you know, right. instead of instead of continuing down that path. You know, I, I tell my um, I tell my a lot of my clients, I tell them a lot of things, but I tell I tell them that, uh, you know, you're here because I'm here to teach you. I'm not here so I can be your trainer for two years. You know, I want to I want to teach you about the nutrition, you know, because I'm a certified nutrition background. I was the only trainer at the gym that had, uh, you know, an actual sort of like an actual health certification and have taken the nutrition classes and the science classes and really have a a, a really good base, at least for a 24 year old. I mean, a really good understanding when I was, um, and you're right, doctors fix things. They just fix things. It's like a mechanic to fix things with drugs. When I was, I think, Jeez, I want to say I was 21, maybe 21 or 22. No, I was 20. I was 20 years old. I went to see my physician, my family physician. And when I was 20 was really when I started to snowball on the whole uh, holistic nutrition campaign. 
you know, when I got, went into college, I immediately gained 80 pounds. Then I lost a hundred, then I got, gained 60 back and then I lost 50. You know, so it's, it's been a wild goose chase. And so after, once I, once I started down that path, it was, it was almost as if everything that I trusted started to flip on its back. Um, I was seeing my physician and uh, he asked me what I was doing in school. And I was like, oh, well, I'm changing my major. So my first two years, I was a landscape architecture major. And I loved it, but I knew it wasn't for me. And I hadn't found my niche, so I hadn't changed. So after my sophomore year, I had changed that summer. Um, the summer after I changed, so I was a year into my new, all my science classes. But I had so many, uh, so many science credits from my landscape architecture that it immediately fast-tracked me to high intensity, advanced level, like nutrition courses, nutrition science courses, and which was super cool because that's what I then found out that I was passionate about. And that's where I wanted, that's when I started snowballing. And a year later, I was introduced to you, but I asked this, uh, I asked my family physician, I think a few health questions. And he was like, yeah, um, I don't really know, but I'll get back to you. And then, then was when he asked me, uh, what I was going to do. And I was like, oh, well, I'm actually transitioning into all these nutrition classes. I'm going to get my teaching certification and sports coaching and phys ed and health and really just kind of beef up my portfolio. So I knew that at some point, if I wanted to return my act to academia, I could come and get my PhD and then hopefully kind of do in my own way what you did. And mm -hmm. when I left, I had realized that I, because afterwards I got a phone call from a friend and he asked me about some, some meal prepping questions and some food questions. He was at the grocery store and we were helping each other at the gym and I was giving him nutrition tips. He had a lot of injuries and they were helping, you know, de and, you know uh, get the inflammation away. And after I got out, it was ironic. I had realized after the phone conversation that he and I uh, had both realized that I knew more about nutrition than my doctor did. And that concerned me. You know, because this doctor was ordering me to get blood work and, you know, uh, referring me to different people for all of my athletic injuries. And it was almost like, was the credibility gone? You know, like, is it, am I making sense? It's a rabbit hole for me to go down because I don't get to talk about this with many people because by now they're like, Alex, you're crazy, you know, but it's, it's true. You know, it wasn't after. No, I, I have a different. I have a different viewpoint. You know, to a degree, because, you know, I, I think that people shouldn't have the expectation that their physician knows anything about nutrition more than their lawyer knows, or their truck, their um, postman knows, or their plumber knows. Yeah. You know, they just know what they read in the in the in the public, what they've been socialized to believe in. They have the same information as everybody else. They're not trained in nutritional science. They're not pouring through all the scientific data on human nutrition. They take maybe a, one or two courses about vitamin deficiencies in their medical school training. When they leave medical school, they're engrossed in residency programs that occupy them with, with people on the brink of dying in the hospital under stressful situations. And they got out of that and they open their practices and they become drug dispensers. They are, they're not knowledgeable about it. And, why, and who do we care if they're nutritionally knowledgeable anyway? They're not going to have the time to spend with you to, to teach you about nutrition. They're not a teacher. And, and who cares if they know about nutrition? Because at the point, if they're, you know, you don't go to a, you know, you have lung cancer. Okay. You don't tell a person to quit smoking after they get lung cancer. You try to get them as a kid not to start smoking. 
So what good is if people, it's the American Heart Association is so utterly ridiculous. They say, if you have heart disease, cut the salt down to 1500 milligrams a day. If you have heart disease, you're supposed to wait till you have the disease and then you're supposed to cut down. You're not supposed to have your whole life be, be avoiding the things that cause disease. So you don't develop it in the beginning. With. The whole thing is ridiculous. You don't wait till you're sick to go to a doctor to get taught about nutrition. You should be eating the nutrition so you never have to go to a doctor. You never have to get sick to begin with. Why are doctors the the caretakers of nutritional knowledge? It should be a, but in any case, I'm saying um, you have to live in a manner to avoid the need for medicinal substances. The first thing we learn in medical school is drugs are toxic. They're poisonous. Most of them cause cancer. And we want to, and first in lifestyle medicine to avoid the need for drugs and medical care is the, is the foundation of good, of good health care, not treating people who are already getting sick with a poisonous drug. I always say, I don't go to doctors. I don't even go to myself. <laughs> He's there. Like, oh, my, this is mind rattling. This is mind rattling. Because uh, you're and right. I'm saying the same, and I'm saying here, just to be clear, that the same nutritional excellence that gives us the ability to live healthy to 100 and extend human lifespan is therapeutically effective to get rid of people's psoriasis, to normalize their blood pressure, to remove their diabetes, to melt away their heart disease, to get rid of their headaches, to get rid of their multiple sclerosis, and to get rid of their fibromyalgia and all these and, and chronic migraines, all these things that are plaguing these people running to doctors to take pills could have been reversed through nutrition, nutrition and they wouldn't have needed to take all these poisonous substances that, that, are, that suppress symptoms. Right. Symptoms are not the, the problem. Symptoms are the manifestation that the body are activities of the body to deal with the pathologies. In other words, you look, if you have a headache, the headache is the treatment because the body is getting rid of toxins from the, from the brain into the bloodstream for removal. And now you feel sick, but feeling sick is getting better. When you stop shooting cocaine, you don't feel better. You feel worse. When you stop taking nicotine, you're going to feel terrible. You're going to go through withdrawal. Withdrawal is the treatment. It's the body trying to get repair and remove the toxic elements, and you feel sick. But you're treating a headache under medical care by giving you like Eskit, Wygain, Wygain, Furanol, Furacet, Midrin, you know, these drugs whose active ingredients are barbiturates, narcotics, and caffeine, and Tylenol. The ingredients are toxic, push the toxins back into the body prevent the body from healing. You're feeling better by getting worse, not feeling worse is getting, feeling worse is getting better. Feeling better is getting worse. The whole basis of medical care is, is, is based on a false premise. Um, but in any case, what I'm saying here is that, and the purpose of me saying this is so people have hope and they know that their body has the ability to repair itself if they live healthy enough and you don't get well from taking medicinal substances or rarely is that the answer, that should rarely be the answer because most often in the vast majority of instances, your body can, has the ability to heal. If you take the offending substances and deal with the cause and remove the cause and the body can miraculously heal itself. And that's a completely different way of, of treating people. And by the way, just to mention the growth of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine there's now thousands of physicians that are incorporating these philosophies and methodologies of treatments rather than just coming in where people just write another drug and write another drug and write another drug for every person that walks in the door. You know, when I was in college, I was for years growing up, I 
not for years, but I was tested four times when I was little, around, around like, I want to say, you know, just before middle school. Um, so still elementary. It, I was tested for uh, ADHD, Attention mm-hmm. Deficit Hyperactive Disorder. And so uh, every, all four times I got, um, my assessment was negative. You know, I did not have, you know, at least the doctors were saying, right, sometimes it was the same doctor, sometimes it was a different doctor quote unquote doctor. Right. And so as a kid, it made me really question my credibility getting tested like this, especially before playing sports. And it, um, I noticed that going into my health journey, my fitness journey, right. Um, totally reversing all of my lifestyles, everything I've been taught, even by my parents, like everything, even that I know works good. I needed a clean slate before I really approached this, but you know, it, it made me, it made me think that everybody I was supposed to rely in wasn't able to be relied on, you know, and even the people pushing me in the right direction for me, because of my experience with the fitness industry, my timeline lined up where in between understanding the scientific nature of the holistic approach in nutrient, um, nutrient-based diets and stuff like that. And, you know, between my super unhealthy stages and phases and my super healthy phases, I found myself in a, a few-year, probably five-year grace period where if I was avoiding bad foods sometimes, as long as I was eating lean protein, a lot of it, and as long as I was including a lot of supplementation in my diet, and by supplementation, I mean muscle builders, I mean creatine, I mean whey protein powders, isolates, um, you know, really diving into pre-workouts and uh, leucine and, you know, all these different chemicals that now I have found are naturally occurring in all of the foods that I'm supposed to be eating. You know, and it's just, it, I wish it lined up differently because learning now that the supplementation that I was experiencing, that I was putting my body then, even though quote unquote, you know, uh, you know, five star, really good, really clean lab testing, you know, all that great jazz, um, even the best of the best supplements. The fact that now that I know that many, if not most of those supplements, if not all of those supplements we're getting in my way of the bio the bioavailability from all of the healthy foods that I was eating, right? Inflaming me when my diet was trying, you know, it was like they were reversing everything that I was doing, right? Based off of what you're saying from what we're talking about supplementation, correct? Well, it seems well, not. I wouldn't say reversing or going. Not, you know, there there are certain supplemental ingredients that certainly are, have a negative influence on long term health. The major ones are folic acid, which is not, was a synthetic product. It's not the same as folate that's found in real food, you know, folic acid. So, and women of childbearing age are told to take folic acid to prevent neural tube defects when they have children. Right. And I'm saying that, and and vitamin A, you know, acetyl and retinal palmitate are cancer promoting additives. They're not, they should never be put in food. Um, beta carotene and vitamin E have also had negative effects on longevity, taking them in supplemental form. But what I'm saying right now is that 
just think about this for a minute. The medical profession is telling people and health authorities for women of childbearing age to take folic acid, a substance not found in food, to have normal children. Now, now we know folic acid increases risk of breast and prostate cancer. Right. And now that it's a, it's a permission slip, it enables people not to have to eat green vegetables and beans because green vegetables are super rich in folate. So instead of telling people to get green vegetables to get real folate, we don't, doctors don't want to know anything about nutrition, don't want to tell people about how they should live. They just want to give them a pill. They just want to sell them a drug. So they sell them a drug instead of having me green vegetables. The outcome of that is that women don't have to be conscious of eating green vegetables. They can keep eating fast food as they take their folic acid pills. And that causes an epidemic of childhood cancer. And the major cause of death in children today is other than accidents, of course, and suicide. The major cause of death in children is acute blastocytic leukemia. And it's linked to the mother's, to the lack of green vegetables in the mother's diet prior to conception, not just during pregnancy, but even two years prior to conception, and the consumption of luncheon meats and processed meats also increase the risk of childhood cancer. And we're talking here about this explosion of autism in children, of attention and learning disabilities, of infections and allergies, and of course, childhood cancers being linked back to the mother's diet. And so instead of using this folic, a folate deficiency in women because they don't eat enough vegetables, instead of using that as an opportunity to educate our population on the importance of eating vegetables to get folate, which then prevents neural tube defects, heart defects, childhood cancer, and a host of other issues, instead, we sell them a pill and make, it, make, make people think like they can't have a normal pregnancy unless they take the synthetic pill made from petroleum. It's the most ridiculous and backwards way of thinking, and people accept it like some crazy relig- cult, religious cult, and they believe anything they're told, and you know, any right, and they don't even think logically. Yeah, no, you're hundred percent correct. It's, it may, wow, just wow, just wow. It's it's overwhelming. Yeah, you're right. It's it's like a religion. It's like a, it's cult like activity, and if you don't follow it. You don't follow it. They're getting pressure and being being put under social ostracized. You know, they're ostracized. Yeah. Social pressure. You're not going to take folic acid. You take a chance of hurting your child. What are you talking about? Our human body isn't designed to get to get have a normal child without taking a synthetic pill. That what yeah. do you need? And what? By the way, people who eat healthy, their levels of folate in their blood are super high, even above the normal range. Why don't you get a blood test and see if you need to see if you're folate deficient? But you know, maybe your folate's too high. What are you taking a folic acid pill? It gets it's absorbed too readily into the cells and drives cellular replication. So what the whole point is, it's all nonsensical. It's all based on on a con, on confused science and and the. the and, and money and making money and selling people pills and making them believe in this system where your health comes in a bottle of pills, not from the, na- not from nature, you know? Yeah, this is, yes, of course. I, I really couldn't, I couldn't say it any better than you are right now. So in my search for trying to understand how to teach individuals about what you're saying right now especially in the fitness industries and in the education industries Mm. i see flaws in both heavy life-threatening thought you know flaws because i see i can now see 30 years down the road i can now see you know the long-term effects and i can feel the short-term effects and it's like yeah they they call you crazy they put a dunce cap on you and they just kick you in the corner so 
And it's not, to, we don't want to make it mainstream. You know, I never wanted to come on here and, you know, I can't, I want I wish for you to come on because I, you know, I want to promote what you're teaching. I want to give credibility to the words. I want to, I want to expose everybody who's not already exposed to these things. You know, the fitness industry right now is on a kick. And by that, I mean, they're on a kick where number one, everything's becoming less corporate, more personable. And number two, um, everything's becoming more health conscious. And I mean that in quote unquote health conscious. Um, lots of you know, emotional support, things of that nature. And, and what the last, you know, the missing puzzle piece to it all is somebody like myself who is credible talking to an individual like yourself who is even more credible in long form discussion to talk these things out it's not political it's not something that you believe in it's not it's just it's what it is you know understanding what you are you know what you're made of what the camera you know how everything acts even just on the basis what everything does for you what basic vitamins are in kale and spinach, you know? What basic vitamins are in orange? So you should be able to go around the grocery store and name the basic fundamental, uh, you know, the fundamental ability of each individual item, you know? Even just the basic ones, the fruits, the vegetables, you know, the, pro the proteins, right? The carbohydrates, the sugary things, understanding how the, sugaries, or the, the sugary uh, fruits affect you in a certain way, Besides, um, standing beside how refined sugar, you know, and powdered sugars and things of that nature, processed sugars, how those affect you and the difference between it all, you know, honey versus uh, candy. And in looking for credibility, I actually found a couple of documentaries on Netflix. One of them, I think it's called Game Changers, I think it's what it's called. Mm -hmm. um, there's a bunch of big people in it, um, big like actors and uh, influential people, doctors who um, who have who had life-threatening uh, experiences, whether it was health-related or something happened to them with a family member, or you know the, whether it threatened their athletic career, right? Lots of strong men, bodybuilders, you know, athletes, MLB, National Football League, um, and each of them kind of gave their little part on what they do, how they've changed what they do and why they do what they do and how it's, <clears throat> and how it's so against the mainstream in their sport. <clears throat> but even though it's mainstream in their sport to go against such a, a, you know, a, a nutritarian diet and very, you know, eating a lot of green foods and a little differently, you know, everybody preaches lean your know, meats and things like that. And you're right. It's causing a lot of carcinogenic effects causing a lot of inflammation and you need that protein this is true but you need it from somewhere else you know right you know even that thing it still gets people motivated but it still t shows them short-term gains yeah middle-aged people feeling better and i'm saying that most of our evidence shouldn't come from um, short-term gains or even controlled trials that look for short soft endpoints a soft endpoint might be that you lost weight or you feel better, or your cholesterol improved, or your glucose numbers improved. Because more important than soft endpoints are these studies that go on for decades with many thousands of people, even hundreds of thousands of people, that look at hard endpoints. 
a hard endpoint, a soft endpoint is your triglyceride went down, your blood pressure improved. A hard endpoint is you had a heart attack or you died or the age of your death. And we have a lot of studies in the last five years where we've completed hard endpoint studies, looking at various populations with different inputs and seeing how long these people lived, right? And seeing what they died of. And, and now we know that, um, that diets richer in animal products lead to shorter lifespans, which is a hard endpoint. Even if the person look, lost weight, even if they look good in the gym and they got their stomach ripped, it doesn't matter if they're still going to die 10 years prematurely or 20 years prematurely. You know, we got to look at, we got to put all the data together. And I'm saying here that we have at least a dozen studies that corroborate each other, looking at hard endpoints now. We have much more data points today. We've learned much more. So we can come to more, um, more definitive recommendations based on an A score in credence value. Because you can say, you know, does flax, does, you know, does, um, what's the question? Does taking an aspirin every day reduce risk of future heart attacks? And the answer, you know, we believed that for years. People were told to do that. Now we know that, that the evidence was a D, but now we know the evidence is an F because more data, more numbers of people looking at ages of death show it doesn't work. But maybe, maybe the evidence is C or a B plus or a D, D minus, but to get A evidence, you need short-term studies that are corroborated by long-term studies and high-credence studies that look at hard endpoints. And, and today we have a lot of those studies and we have a lot of um, more definitive evidence to give people. But people are still living in the area of what they learned 10 or 15 years ago. It takes decades to change the thought patterns of a whole of, a whole of society that have been pushed in the wrong direction. You know, so how do, we, how do we find that? So one thing I'm trying to achieve is how do we find, I want to do this for myself. I want to achieve this um, because I want to, you know, for both sides, I want to find the median between the meat, you know, the animal-based diet and the, um, and you know, completely excluding any animal products at all. You know, I, I kind of I want to find that in between so that both sides and all sides at the table can understand um, that it's it, it, and you're right. It's like a cultish thing. You have to you have to have a good you have to know about the literature. So I yeah, think right. that right reading my most recent book, Eat yeah. for Life. Now, I'm, you know, pushing my recent book because it's always good to get the most recent science. Yeah. With it. That's more than 2000 references in that book. But they're recent updated references. And, and as science goes on and as time goes on, you get more evidence that lead to one going in one direction or another. And the accumulation of evidence gets to a point where, where you, your belief systems be, melt away and you become more irrefutable. You could see that the evidence becomes overwhelming and you can become more comfortable in supporting a viewpoint. So my you know, so I have written 12 books and they're all on different subjects, but I think Eat for Life is the most updated one and a good place for people to start. Um, and I want to also make the comment that um, these high glycemic carbohydrates um, that raise the blood glucose, like white flour and sugar and honey and maple syrup, um, are not food, they're drugs. And they don't really... so. Uh, it, and, and white flour is a sugar equivalent. 
the body doesn't differentiate from when you eat a cube of sugar or a piece of candy and a piece of bread, white bread or pasta or Italian bread or a bagel. It still comes into the bloodstream as sugar in a high, you know, in a high flux. And it's the rate of it's the rate at which the calories enter the bloodstream and the spike of glucose in the bloodstream that controls the production of insulin and controls dopamine since becoming dopamine insensitive in the brain leading to cravings and oils create cravings and a desire to overeat calories. Oils are also an appetite stimulant because the calories into the bloodstream so rapidly compared to the ingestion of another seed, which feeds the calories more gradually. So I'm saying here that probably to recognize that White flour is not a food. It doesn't contain nutrients to sustain life. When the body tries to convert calories into energy without cofactors and vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients, it does so inefficiently and it's more better stored and the body more effectively stores it as fat. And the lack of reduction of energy leads people feeling lethargic and lack of energy to do anything. And then they feel like, and then they have to overeat to get their energy up. They got to eat more calories because they're feeling wiped out all the time. And they think that their fatigue is a sign of hunger. People actually believe that they need to eat before they go to the gym or they need to eat to sustain their exercise They need to eat to get there. They've been, they, they've been so misinformed and, and gotten the wrong cues in their body that they actually think feeling fatigue is a sign of hunger and a need for calories. So I'm they, a victim of that. That's exactly why I could never lose weight. Yeah. yeah. I did I, to prove that. And so one of the talking points I actually wrote down was fasting because uh, through reading your books and I've done a lot more research than just being, these are just the physical books that I actually have, but right. um, the fasting, the encouragement of fasting, the benefits of fasting and not, and by fasting, I do, I do not mean purposefully starving yourself for a specific window of time by fasting. I mean, not eating when you're not hungry and when you know, I mean, and it's you know understanding that it's okay not to consume, and that means no consuming any calories at all. No, right, like you said, no oils or anything like that. No snacks. You know, you're just drinking water, maybe sipping some room temperature tea, right? Yeah. Or you know, some, something to help detox. You, know, you don't always have to be eating, and that actually can improve your ability to lose inflammation and detox. And to just naturally keep good levels and not having being a detox planned for a specific time, right? It's what a lot of fitness people do. They have detoxes planned, you know, and it's like, no, you, this just needs to be your life. This is your every day. You know? That's good. That's an important distinction because these people fluctuate from extreme dieting to then it hits them emotionally. So they start to crave and they slow the metabolic rate down too far. And then they go back to overeating and binging and their weight go and they start yo-yoing and going back and forth to binges and starving and binging and starving. And really, um, you know, of course I advocate that a lifespan enhancing technique is going to bed on an empty stomach and finishing dinner early and not eating all night long and stretching out and not snacking. Of course, but the most critical factor for a person who's overweight is consistency and develop a pattern of eating that they can live with for years and stick with and not be bouncing back and forth to more to further extremes. And that's why I try to get people to steadily lose weight and not to go on an extended fast or a juice fast 
or do something that's too radical because invariably they're going to bounce out of that with overeating and weight regain. I want them to overweight people, especially people who have a tendency to an addictive relationship with food to develop a pattern of eating that works for them where they're losing at least two pounds a week and they keep losing at least two pounds a week until they reach their ideal weight. Now we have lots of people that come to our retreat here for a few months that lose three or four pounds a week. I just have a guy here now who just lost 51 pounds in one month. So we lost... And, he, and I said, him, 51 pounds in one month. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I said to him, you know, you're not going to lose 50 pounds the next month. And certainly don't even shoot for that because we want you to maintain this. You know, we don't want, we want you to go home living this way and, and not to be so extreme that you're going to bounce out of this. Then he, is, his, he said, well, you watch me. I'm going to lose another 50 pounds. I said, no, but anyway, I don't want you to lose 50 pounds, but he's, what's that? That's not the point, right? Yeah. They're not the point is how fast you do it. Of course. But, you know, so but in any case, you know, he's still very overweight. But the point is, he's here for an extended period of time for at least three months. But he's learning how to live, how to eat. And how, so he loses steadily weight. So he knows how to reproduce this to live this way for the rest of their life. And most people, the first month they lose 15 to 25 pounds. The second month they lose 10 to 15 pounds. And thereafter, they lose eight to 10 pounds a month until they reach their ideal weight. So two pounds a week of weight loss is the minimum acceptable weight loss if they're significantly overweight. And if they're not losing two pounds a week, then, they, then they're probably not eating healthy enough and they didn't grasp the concept and understand how to eat this way. And I'm also explaining to people that when you lose weight, you're dropping, you're reducing insulin resistance, you're preventing inflammation, you're reducing your risk of a heart attack by a thousand fold. So let's say you lost 50 pounds, right? And you're tremendously reduced your risk of death. But now you go to Las Vegas or on a cruise ship and you gain back 10. Now you're still 40 pounds down. But after gaining back 10, you're at worse, higher risk of disease, death or a heart attack than you would have been if you were 50 pounds overweight. Because the rapid regain of weight is is accelerating juvenile plaque, inflammation in the blood vessels, the stickiness of the platelets, putting on subcutaneous um, visceral fat, not subcutaneous fat that's more saturated. So it's the rapid regain of weight that completely discombobulates and puts you at high risk. Most heart attacks occur during Christmas and New Year's and around holidays and people want to come back from vacations. So it's, it's the binge eating and the regain of weight that's so dangerous. So we're advising people that yeah, you have to lose weight and keep, and you're a nutritarian if you're at your ideal weight, but you're also a nutritarian if you're overweight and gradually losing weight towards your ideal weight and you have better blood parameters for it. But the minute you start gaining again, everything goes kaput and the hay and blood, the blood test, the inflammation goes the other way. So we want people to, you know, be moving in the right direction and see this as a complete lifestyle change. But they, but they spend a long time here because they understand, they learn how to make it taste delicious. Yeah. They're not eating thimble-sized portions of food. They can't maintain. So what, all not- does, what all does your retreat entail? I've been fascinated by the, fa- the thought of your retreat for years, ever since I learned about it. What is exactly your retreat? You know, if I, if I was to sign up for your retreat, which I do want to take your retreat, um, I do want to come. Uh, how, how would, uh, you know, what, would I, what would that entail? Well, we don't accept people to come who are less than 30 days. So one month is the minimum stay. Right. Because, and I encourage people to stay two or three months because it's like cocaine addiction. When people are overweight, they have this 
they're, they're practicing self-destructive behaviors chronically, and they always have a rationalization or excuse why it's okay to behave in a manner that's not in their own best interest, right? Right. So we have to tell them to make, teach them how to make every day count and every meal count and every mouthful count towards their future recovery and health and retrain the taste muscle, retrain their food preferences and educate them as to how food addictions develop and how you get rid of them. And so we get them a completely different way of seeing food where they're actually seeing eating this way as a, a way of getting heightened pleasure, heightened happiness, controlling their health destiny and ultimate protection against to getting new tra medical tragedies happen in their life. And they leave here with the skills necessary to continue it at home. So ultimately, the purpose of being here is to master the plan so you can learn how to live it when you're home, right? Because people go to these health retreats, right? And they, they just live on sprouts, or they just live on juices, or they just do on, and they go home and they gain the weight back. And they never gonna, they have no intention of living that way for the rest of their life. They're not gonna stay on sprouts for the rest of their life. There's no way they're gonna retain that, maintain that. You know, it's like, it's, it's too extreme, even though they're gonna lose weight while they're there. You have, so this is a little different, that's why I opened it, a little different purpose. Because there, there were so many people that have these issues that were causing them to be unable to lose weight and unable to get healthy. And so they come here and they're under my medical care. They're weaned off their diabetic drugs. They're weaned off their high blood pressure medications. They don't need them anymore. Their medical problems melt away. And, they're, and when they leave, they have the confidence now to take care of themselves and to enjoy living this way. So, um, so it's, I'm passionate. As you can see, I'm like, I'm, I'm excited about what I see and what I do. And it's just a, it's a really fun um, fun career, you know, what you do, um, really is, you know, you're the first person I've met where what you have achieved and what you push to achieve every day is pretty much on a separate timeline in a different life, exactly what I want to achieve. Hmm. Um, you know, and I think that especially from being an educated and experienced, you know, uh, uh, not experienced, but, um, from being an educator, it, I feel like parents, even parents who don't need this training, I feel like they need to come to your retreat. And, you know, because I feel like parents, and, and I don't feel like it, I know from being in the schools, from being in the gyms, from being in the communities, from being in athletics, from a preschool level, all the way to teaching division one athletes who go pro, it, you know, and I'm, I'm required to do the, to teach those kinds of individuals throughout all of my different labs for teaching and stuff. And it's just, I feel like they need to know the most of what you are preaching. You know, they need to learn how to cook the foods. They need to know how to pick the foods. They need to know the basics, right? What you offer at this retreat. And I will go above and beyond my whole life. Cause it's what I'm passionate about mm -hmm. uh, is promoting things like this retreats like this people like you and i had somebody um i had somebody the other day uh because um once we had solidified the date for this meeting i was super excited and naturally everybody close to me everybody around me at the moment knew i kept it a secret for the most part but um i was like you know this is this is huge you know because you're you are the embodiment of everything that I've been preaching throughout my fitness career so far. And it's, it's the embodiment of credibility and the fact that 
you've gone to as far as creating a massive, it's like over a hundred acres, right? Isn't it huge, your retreat? No. How big is your retreat? How big is this? I have 120 fruit, exotic fruit trees, though. But that's still way bigger than anything I've ever experienced, you know? Anything that anybody around me has ever experienced. That you have, the fact that you have a, a physical place. Yeah. Everyone come. That's the fact that you have stories of individuals staying in your basement, right, for summers and right. months. And you're yeah, when home. I was, I know when I was younger, I tell those stories. Well, my wife and I put patients in our basement. Yeah. And my daughter, my little kids, right. when they were babies, my my adult children, when they were little kids, used to be in bed playing cards and playing games with the with the patients in my basement. You know. That's were, healthy. That's what this holistic approach is. You're supposed to be able to like that the trusting and the respect part of it and the understanding that not only did you have the ability to take somebody in like that and you had the investment and the passion to take such a course of action on another part from another perspective that other person these other people whether in your house or outside whoever comes to your retreat you know whatever it is yeah they now have an experience where somebody else, formerly a stranger, be, you know, has genuinely, you've genuinely crossed paths with that other person, that other soul, and they are reaching out to you to help you. And they're willing to bring you onto their property, meet their family, and uh, you know, get grounded and understand that you are a good person and your family means well. And what you do means well, and that you're not just another physician practicing another, you know, private way of practice under your own philosophies. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is the the approach to what you're doing is it, you know, on a human level, it's life changing. It is because you prove from a very early on point in your career that you're willing to go the lengths because you knew that it would work. Right. And, and the joy you get, this, this personal satisfaction you get from watching people turn their life around. Like, and whether like, it's a thousand people or whether it's 10 people, it's a, it's a beautiful feeling to impact a person's life in such a, in a positive way. And the, um, and so, yeah, I've done that most, I, I used to rent a house, a large house in Flemington, New Jersey. Now we have this beautiful place in San Diego, but you know, you do whatever you can, and all of us do our part in helping people have a better and happier life. And it's very rewarding, and the people really appreciate it. And they That's get a real reward. That's yeah, a real, real reward. Real reward, right. Yeah, yeah, not food reward, not physical reward. It's a real reward. Yeah. You know, and I can't see uh, – you know, somebody asked me the other day um, because they saw your credentials and all the amazing things that you've achieved you know, the New York Times bestselling list multiple times, you know, and being on all these incredible talk shows and massive networks raising millions and millions of dollars, right. nothing but good coming from all of it. And um, they were like, are you, you know, it can be, it can be aggressive, you know, especially from a young professional standpoint on a personalized podcast that has been a struggle to get up and running. And I told them, no, you know, I, I understood from a very early stage that um, you're another human and you just like me came from a specific point in your life along your own timeline 
at your own pace, figured out what you wanted to do and how you wanted to do it. And you took that and you met it and combined it in a cocktail with facts, education, information, uh, you know, actual evidence, hands-on approach. And so your entire life, you've done nothing but built a structure based off of that as a hands-on approach that solves real problems in real time, you know, and in, in ways that are extremely applicable and self-sustainable by oneself. And all you're doing is spreading that and you're teaching it. And it's like everything, um, everything that comes your way, you're putting right back into what you're passionate about, which is talking about this stuff. You know, it's incredible the amount of outreach you've done and you can still talk so passionately about things of this nature and be so passionate about, um, you know, because just talking, just talking to me allows you to reach thousands of new people, you know, people who have never heard your name before, never seen what you've done, never heard about holistic or new nutritarian diets and balancing between, you know, organ meats and animal, animal meats. And you, you know what I mean? It's, this is all very foreign for so many people and it's concerning. It's, it's really, it really is. It's really concerning. And I'm happy. I'm just happy that you're still doing it. I'm happy that you continue to keep moving forward and keep, no matter how much pressure is applied, you know, you stay true to what you do and you know, cause you know, it works in a very natural, a very life elongating way that allows for the natural evolution and fulfill, you know, natural health, healthy lives of every, most, if not every, you know, the life that every human deserves. Am I making sense? Yes, yes. yes. It, you know, it's because as a young person, the words that you say that come out of your mouth so easily are, even if they're just simple words, they're very difficult for me to grasp. They are as a young professional, it, because all I see is the ground and all I experience are individuals who do not see eye to eye. And um I realized early on that the questioning of credibility is going to be very intense, especially starting off. And so um, seeing an individual like you where credible professionals, right, are doing studies and things of that nature. There's a, there's a study for everything now, right? right? There's a study for everything. And I just want to find that in between. You know, and it, and that's, that's what, so part of what I've tried to do is develop tools for people, educational tools, whether it's videos or books. Or, Which is on your website, too, yeah. right? Yeah, sure. At DrFerman.com. So developing tools to make it, because I know that this can be difficult for people. And I know that they've, been, they, they've checked out and given up. And they haven't succeeded in the past in trying to get back good health or succeeded in the weight, whatever they're trying to achieve. And right. So we can make a tool so people understand and know how to apply it to make it taste good, to make it understandable, to make it doable, to make it. So, so that's been, you know, uh, developed into a career for me. And I've, um, and, and as my career has progressed, I've developed more tools and more knowledge to make this change more predictable and easier for people to make. Um, and so I could help other young doctors and young professionals like yourself can, can benefit from the, from my buildup of, work I've done to help, you know, including like a, you know, a booklet of what to eat when you have autoimmune disease or something, you know, or right. so, so just, so I've worked on that. And so, you know, so that's been 
Um, and now that I'm, um, now that I have this retreat here in San Diego, um, it's really beautiful for me. And I love this hobby I have of growing, of gardening and growing trees and stuff, but I, so I'm, I'm still having fun and staying physically active and, and I love to do sports and things. And to me, it's a hobby for myself too, because I like to stay physically fit and in good, great shape so I can enjoy doing sports that I love, like playing tennis and skiing and stuff, you know? So I lot of, so it's, it's basically, and then, it, and then spreading the idea that we can continue to enjoy our life in our later years. And we don't have to see the deterioration, the aging, where most people don't have the physical or mental capacity to do what they could when they were young. And they lose their creativity and their passions as they get older, because you lose too many brain cells and their memory goes and their creativity goes. So we're, we're giving people back control over their life and to make them a more fulfilled life to be the best version of themselves. Right. And so that's, you know, and thank you. So you're explaining that that's driven, been dri- driven me, but it's also a lot of fun. It's also very, it's fun and pleasurable to live this way and to, and to be able to impart this knowledge to people. So I understand that our time's almost up. I really appreciate, you know, fit, you fitting me into your schedule and taking time for uh, providing value, you know, credibility to the value of long form discussion. Um, moving forward, before we skedaddle, I, number one, I would love to keep in touch with you and, uh, you know, continue down this, down this, you know, build a relationship with you and promote what you do um, and to continue to, uh, even just personally go down this path. And, and the fact that you've spent the time with me today already answers so many questions that have baffled me, even just personally. How do people find you? How do, I understand you have an Instagram, I understand you have a LinkedIn or um, you know, your, all of the podcasts and things that you do. How do you have a drfurman.com, right? Yeah, the, sim- the simplest thing is just go on the website, drfurman.com. And if people who need to, communicate with me about like medical conditions they can also either join the member center too and communicate with me through a forum i have where i give people personal advice there too but so the there's an ask the doctor forum there but i have a lot of information free information there on the website and they can learn have some options of how to get more into this um but yeah well thanks for the for the no. interview and I'd be happy no, thank you so much really glad, I- glad to be be um instrument to, to have um to to be able to accelerate or in your your participants the people you're involved with and yourself and glad to be contribute to all that well, hey, you great health and you too thank you so much for everything you've done everything you will do i'm sure we'll be in touch thank you so much dr Furman. take care everybody have a great day bye-bye bye